now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Happy Wednesday, Secret Squad. I'm Robin McGraw, and this is a brand new episode of I've Got a Secret. Workplace strategist Erica Keswin was named one of Marshall Goldsmith's top 100 coaches in 2020, as well as one of Business Insider's most innovative coaches of 2020. She helps companies increase engagement, create connection in the workplace, and retain top talent. Her two best-selling books lay out the concept of bringing your human to work, which connects teams, creates a human environment, and honors relationships. She's here to help both employers and employees have better work culture. This is The Secret to Humanizing Your Workplace. Welcome, Erica. It's so great to be here. Oh, I'm so excited about today's topic and about having you here. I just know The Secret Squad is going to learn so much, not only about the workplace, but I think about their life at home and at work. So listen, quote, bringing your human to work. I love that phrase. I love everything about it. But bringing your human to work is the core of your teachings. Can you explain to the listeners what this means? Yeah. So if I were to boil it down to to really one line, it's actually something you mentioned in the introduction. And it's about honoring relationships. And it's about honoring relationships with your colleagues, with your boss, with your direct reports, with your customers, with your clients, but also honoring that relationship with yourself and really understanding who you are and which aspects of yourself, you know, can you bring to work? Oh, I love that. I love that because that's really the basis of how you create a relationship with anyone. Once you know yourself, you have that relationship with yourself that, that thrives, then it really helps creating the relationship with someone else, right? Yep, 100%. Oh, I love it. And is this a teaching more for employers or employees? Well, it's really both. You know, when I wrote the book, Bring Your Human to Work, I was thinking about it from a top-down perspective in terms of if I'm a leader, if I'm a manager, and if I can create a more human workplace, if I can create a workplace where people don't have to check who they are at the door, what I saw from a business perspective is that collaboration went up by as much as 46%, productivity went up, um, engagement went up, turnover went down. So there certainly was a was a business, um, you know, it was, it was great for business. Interestingly, when I started speaking to people and they looked at all of the different um, ideas in the book about what it means to bring your human to work. Does a company focus on wellness? Does a focus, does a company focus on both personal and professional development? All the different chapters in the book, the the people were looking at at these different elements of a human workplace to help them choose where they want to work, you know, or which team they want to work on. So it really works both ways. And that's why the subtitle of the book is bringing your human to work is good for people. It's great for business and it and it just might change the world. So they are not mutually exclusive. Wow. That is such a profound answer. 
and thought-provoking because when you talk about checking your human at the door, checking who you are at the door before you go into work, that is such a heavy thing because actually there are, I believe, so many people that do have to do that. And what a sad situation is that, right? It takes a lot of energy to, to hide all of these aspects of, of yourself. And you put so much energy on that, that it's another reason, you know, it's, it's the reason why it does impact your, your productivity. Yes. Um, and what's interesting, what's interesting is, you know, in the, in the pandemic, one of the things that, that we found was that um, for women in particular, and also um, people of color, they really enjoyed working from home, they wanted the flexibility, but there was a piece of it that, you know, especially a lot of the the people of color that I've interviewed, that, you know, with all of the microaggressions and things that can go on in a workplace and how they really couldn't bring their whole selves to work, they found that they were thriving and were so much more productive and engaged at home. So I don't think the answer is necessarily for all of us to be home all the time, I believe that the answer is to better train our leaders and our managers on how to create a culture where people have that trust, that they can bring more of themselves. It doesn't have to be, you know, every single thing, you know, this is still a workplace and it's still professional, but there is a benefit to bringing aspects and really connecting with people on a human level. Oh, I love that. And I agree that every workplace has to have some boundaries, but respectable boundaries, but not so tight that you cannot be the human that you are. So how yeah. can come- let, let me? I was going to say, let me share one story that I really think okay. you would, you would, you and your listeners would really like. So a lot of my work was inspired by a study out of Cornell, where a professor named Kevin Niffen was. He was studying team performance, and and he said, "What makes one team higher performing than another?" And his dad was a firefighter. So he grew up hanging out in the firehouses, you know, with the firefighters. And when he when he was doing his PhD, he said, you know what, I'm going to study the, the firefighters because those are my people. That's how I grew up. What he found, interestingly, was that the firefighters who were the most dedicated to the ritual or the tradition of the firehouse meal and sitting around the table, building trust, shooting the breeze as humans um, it correlated with higher performance and those firefighters actually saved more lives. And so I interviewed all these firefighters and and when they were sitting around the table and not worrying about what they said or did, they got to know each other as humans and it literally impacted their ability to put out fires and save human lives, right? Isn't that like a goosebump story? Yes, I just was rubbing my arms. I because, see you, yes, I see you. Yes, it just gives me chills and goosebumps, yes, because- it's true. I mean, you always hear, you know, when you could break bread with someone, it's a ritual that brings you closer together. So yeah. that right there is is very, very important, I believe. And I think that is uh, a beautiful way to describe becoming human with another person. And, it's, and, it, yeah, and, and so it does describe 100%. how important it is at, at the workplace. Yeah, at work and to what you said at home, really, and in life. And one of the things that I often say, and you'll have to excuse the the cheesy pun, but left to our own devices, um, we're not connecting. And so we, what, what I see now more than ever is that we have to be that much more intentional. And as we go back into the offices, not all the time, and some companies are now fully virtual or we're you know, ships crossing in the night, 
it's that much more important for people to to really be intentional about how we connect, where we connect, when we connect, and and bringing in these different rituals. Um, you can do some of them virtually, but I also believe that there are times where we need to put the technology in its place and and connect in real life. And that could be some companies have said to me that they're they're not they don't really have offices anymore. So once a quarter, they have a retreat or an offsite where they bring everybody together for three days. You know, I'm fine with that as long as there's there's a plan and and there's real real intention about understanding the the benefits again to people and to business uh-huh. for for deepening those connections. Uh-huh. And I I believe that studies show that it really is very important that we all start getting back to the in office workplace. And I've been reading a lot lately that the companies are deciding that it's best that their workforce come back to the office. Are you reading that and hearing that more lately? You know, it's funny. It depends who you ask. And I, it's been such an interesting time because six months ago or eight months ago, in the midst of the great resignation, when everybody was quitting, the employees were saying, well, there is no way we're coming back. You know, we have the power. And now in the midst of every day, you know, we're in January of 23, right? So every day there's more and more companies laying people off. The the leaders um, you know, who also are much older. So there's a demographic issue at play here as well. They're saying, okay, everybody back to the office. And where I come out on this is that there is a, there's a real benefit for being in the office, but it doesn't need to be all day, every day. And I had written, written an article that, um, was called how to design a day in the office that's worth the commute. And here's what you don't want. And I call this the the recipe for resentment. What you don't want, you know, I live in New York City and, and you don't want all of your employees who let's say commute into Manhattan from Connecticut and Westchester and New Jersey, um, you don't want them to commute in for an hour and a half to show up in the office and have nobody there on their team and to have them be doing exactly what they could be doing from home. And so the companies that get it are saying, okay, you know what, on the days that we're in the office, the the purpose of those days is to connect. It's to break bread. It's to build relationships. It's to innovate. It's to brainstorm. If we're going to do our focused work and our spreadsheets and whatever it is that we're going to do, do those on the days you're at home. And again, it goes back to what you asked earlier. It's, it's, it's not easy but it's, I mean, it's not rocket science, but it's also not easy and we've got a plan for it. And that's what companies are struggling with right now. You know, what are the, there's no perfect number of days to go back into the office, but you want it to be purposeful. Yes. I think that's brilliant. When you are there, come together as a group, a collective group and do, do your work together, brainstorm. I think, I think that's brilliant. What are some of your strategies that create successful leaders? You know, I would say... The first thing is focusing on communication. And one of the things we saw during the pandemic was that the leaders who really got such positive feedback and people weren't leaving and had strong engagement, number one, it was the frequency within which they communicated. People want to hear from their leaders and especially with what we've gone through and now with you know this week with all these, these layoffs, frequency, they wanna hear from you. Number two, I talk about form, um, the the medium. You know, they want to hear from leaders in all different ways. So it's good. You're going to do it in person. You're also going to have town halls. You might use a Slack channel. Again, it's it's leveraging technology, but also, you know, being with people 
together in person and really going, cutting across, communicating across those mediums. The, the third is really, I sort of, it's for the, my three Fs. It's, it's the frequency, the form, and, and the feeling is that leaders today need to approach how they communicate with a sense of empathy um, because things have been so challenging and they're not going to be any less challenging anytime soon. Um, and also through the lens of experimentation. So if you're a leader and you come in the office tomorrow and you say, okay, everybody, you know, I heard this, I was on the podcast with Robin and, you know, I heard this great conversation and, you know, we're going to go back to the office. This is how we're going to do it. Um, my advice is to, you know, let's, you know, communicate through this lens of this may not work right away for everybody. And you know what, we're going to experiment. None of us have ever been through what we've gone through over the past couple of years. We're going to have two steps in, one step out. We're going to experiment. We want feedback. And that's, I think right now, one of the things that's really, really important for leaders. Oh, I love it. Okay. Quiet quitting is a trendy buzzword these days. Can you explain what this is to the listeners? Yeah. So quiet quitting is when in your head you've decided, you know what, I I am ready to leave this job, but maybe I don't feel comfortable and confident having any conversations about it. I'm worried how people might react to it. So I'm going to, you know, I'm kind of checked out. Um, I'm going to still show up every day um, in, in body, but in mind um, and in spirit, you know, I'm not all there. And the amount of productivity that companies lose um, when people are coming into the office and they're present and they're sitting there, I mean, I'm sitting in my office right now, um, you know, and, and, but they're, but they're really not in it and they are basically one foot, one toe, one hand, whatever it is out the door and they're just biding their time. What are your opinions on quiet quitting? You know, I think there are ways around it. I think there will always be people like it, it really goes back to your very first question about bring your human to work. And, and when people feel that sense of trust and that sense of psychological safety with, with strong managers, they will be much more likely to, to go to their manager and say, you know, Robin, I, I'm happy here, but I really wish I could maybe move to a different group or learn some new skills or do something else and engage in those conversations and at least give a manager an opportunity to respond and say, you know what, I'm so glad that you brought that up. You know, because from a company perspective, when people leave, it is so, turnover is so expensive. They say it's on average like 180% of somebody's salary. So unless somebody's not performing, you really don't want them to leave. But the problem is, in most places, the people just, there's not a level of trust where they where they feel comfortable doing it. So, you know, one really, really interesting company is called Jelly Vision. And um, they're in Chicago. And I interviewed them for Bring Your Human to Work. And I'm working on a new book, actually, called The Retention Revolution, which comes out in the fall. And I'm, I went back and I'm, I re-interviewed them. And you're going to love this. So they have a policy called, you know, or a philosophy that's called the graceful leave policy. And what that means is on your very first day of work, um, I start at Jelly Vision and as part of the onboarding, they will say, you know, Erica, you, you know, we are so excited to have you here. You bring all these skills and we could not be happier. And you know what? It took us a long time to find you. And when you leave, it's going to take us a long time to replace you. So here at Jelly Vision, we have a philosophy that if you tell us that you aren't happy, that you want to leave, we will, and, and you give us notice and you work with us, you know, you could be going back to school. You could be, you know, going to another company. It doesn't matter. But if you're open with us and work with us, we will 
open up our Rolodexes to help you. We will you know, do whatever we can do to make this successful for both of us because Jelly Vision knows that if they can plan, then they can find a new person or they can promote somebody from within to take the job. So again, it, it goes back to why bringing your human to work and all of this is good for people in business. And there've been some, they, they just shared with me recently because I re-interviewed them and I said, so how's it going? And they said, you know, they actually had somebody, you know, talk to them recently and there was a woman that was going to leave um, and they said, well, wait a minute, you know, what, tell us why or what's going on. And at the end of the day, it turned out she really wanted to work three days a week. And they said, well, we can help you with that. And again, she ended up not leaving. And so how do we create a culture where people feel safe to, to have these conversations? And when companies do these kinds of things, they also need to celebrate it and the leaders need to model it and they need to almost like scream about it from the rafters so that everybody knows about it. Wow. I love that philosophy. I think that's a beautiful, trusting philosophy. The first day on their job there, they already have this trust in their leaders in the company. Yeah. Then more than likely, I can see how they would not leave. Instead, they would come to them and say exactly what happened. I need this, right. and can you help me get that? Instead of going behind their backs, looking for a three-day-a-week job, right. and then just leaving. I, I think that's beautiful. Right. I love that. Well, and here's, an, here's another reason why it's so important now. Um, the new generation, you know, the younger millennials and Generation Z, um, you know, my kids are, are Generation Z. There's no expectation, nor do they want to stay with one company for a long time. So why are we all pretending? You know, it's almost like we are dating. We're not getting married. And even if we did get married, we know half the people get divorced. So so let's just, you know, address the elephant in the room and say, this, this is going to work until... It doesn't work for one of us, and that's okay. And that's what actually my new book is about, which is looking at work in terms of a virtuous cycle. That if we are really, again, I know I've used the word a few times, but uh, but it, I think it's relevant. If we're really intentional about how we onboard and bring people on, and really intentional about how say how we say goodbye, the people that are leaving might come back, yeah. and they're boomerangs. A lot of boomerangs right now, or they're going to be clients or customers, or their kid is going to come work for you. So it's, it's um you know, it's kind of exciting if we can shift our thinking in this way. Oh, I love that. And you said like dating and marriage, it is like a personal relationship. When you're working for a company and you can leave and everyone's okay, everyone's happy, because I raised two boys, they're now grown men with families of their own, but it made me think about when they were young and I was the only woman influence, of course, in, in their lives, all men except for me in the house, in the home and they were mm -hmm. about to start dating and i and i said you know you want to treat these women with respect you're not going to you may have a date with them you're, it doesn't mean you're going to go steady or it doesn't mean you're going to date them forever it doesn't right. mean you're going to get married but you're going to date them for a while and you want to treat them with respect you want that when when you quit dating them and you want to date right. their girlfriend for instance or maybe one of their friends in their group you want them telling all of their girlfriends nice things about you. You don't want to date them for a while and then break up in a nasty way or unfriendly way. You don't want them going yeah. back to all their girlfriends networking by saying, don't date him. He's not nice. Right. It didn't end well. You wanted them to say nice things about you. So it's the same way when you're at a company and you quit. You, yeah. 
You don't want to have bad things said about you, about the company. hundred percent. And yeah, with social media and Twitter and all these things, I mean, it goes, as we know, we've seen it all go viral. I heard some crazy statistic today. You know, if you hear something good about a company, you know, you're going to tell three people. If you hear something bad, you're going to tell seven, eight or nine, and you're going to tell them quickly. So to yeah. your point, um, it, it behooves everybody to, yeah. to leave, to leave gracefully. Yes. I love that. Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morph. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. We do two things on every podcast. We've done it since the first podcast. It's something I decided I wanted to do when I started this. And one is the drink of the day. And so I think let's do our drink of the day right now. I'm enjoying this so much. We create our drink in honor of our guest and our topic. So this drink is in honor of you, Erica, and our topic today. We're calling this drink Human Nature. Today's drink is a refreshing shandy using a light blonde beer. This cocktail is perfect for (laughs) Friday happy hours with your team. It has six ounces of blonde beer, one ounce of fresh squeezed lemon juice, one half ounce simple syrup, four ounces of soda water. You add all ingredients to a tall glass and stir lightly and enjoy. So in honor of you and our topic today, cheers. cheers. <laughs> I'll admit I never drink beer, but I'm going to take a sip of this. I'm not blonde. I don't drink beer, but this is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I have some blonde highlights, so I shouldn't say that. So all of our listeners can go to, I've got a secret with robinmcgraw.com, and we have the picture of the drink, and we have the recipe on there. Yum. That's pretty good. Okay, so I think a lot of people can resonate with your mind your meetings point when talking about leading productively. Meetings can often take away from productivity. Do you agree? Yes, and we have been in way too many meetings, um, especially throughout the pandemic and beyond. Um, We've been spending many, many more hours in meetings. We've been in longer meetings. And so people have found that they really need to sort of take control back of of their time. And interestingly, I um, today, actually right before this, I was on a call with a company that I'm going to be profiling my book. And I got on, I think our, our call, let's say, was at 2.30 or something. So I got on and, um, you know, I'm sort of waiting. Fine. And, and the woman came on at 2.35 and she's like, oh my God, I forgot to tell you that as part of our meeting protocols that are called WOW, ways of working. Um, She said, we start all of our meetings five minutes after the hour to give people 
that grace time. And so part of it is when we think about minding your meetings, um, you know, I think about it in three ways. Um, the first is make sure that every meeting that you're agreeing to go to has a purpose. And I, I recommend doing a purpose audit. So let's say you write down all of your meetings you have, all of your weekly meetings, all of your monthly meetings, and reassess. You know, sometimes we find that when we do a purpose audit, we actually have meetings that are on our calendar just because they've always been there. And so really reassess, is this the best use of my time? Does it need to be this long? And I have found that when people do an audit, they can probably get rid of about 20% of their meetings and make sure that the people who, if they're the meeting organizer, make sure that they're really just inviting people who need, need, need to be there. And if they think someone's going to be upset and left out and say, you know, this isn't about not wanting to invite everybody. This is saying we just need people there that that have to be there. So usually most people would be more than happy to, to skip a meeting. So that's the first is, is the purpose. The second thing to think about, and this is really important, they're all really important, but is presence. And one of the thing I, things I say to people is that physical presence and psychological mental presence are two very different things. And we've all been on those meetings, all those Zooms and Teams calls where somebody is there, but you know they're not really there. And they are multitasking, which ends up hurting relationships. So you'd rather have somebody not be on a meeting than be, you know, saying, wait, what? Yes. <laughs> and it's just rude. So um, that is what could not be when, when we think about building relationships, especially when we're not coming in the office all the time, we've got to be very clear about the expectations. And even some of the new technologies um, will have. Um, like in Outlook or in some of the technologies people use to manage meetings technically, it'll say um, cameras on, cameras off. Like you're giving people information to help guide this idea around presence. And the last, um, the third thing in minding your meetings is um, is protocols. And I describe these meetings sometimes as, especially now it's like the wild west. And what do you need in the wild west? You need a sheriff to give you some guidelines. And so that could be like the company today that they start five minutes after, or many companies now are saying on Wednesdays, no meetings. Let's have a day. We are all just doing focus work or, you know, no meetings on, on Friday after one and really trying to give people some autonomy and some control over their own time. And there's always emergency situations. Most times that's not the case. And so I would urge people to really, you know, try to create some guardrails with their teams. Um, otherwise you find, and this is what um, Microsoft found during the pandemic, because they can track all the hours people are on Microsoft Teams, was that they called it the third peak. People were on, meet, they were having meetings all morning, then they would take a break, at lunch, then they'd have meetings in the afternoon. But because people had more flexibility and they're working from home, 8 to 10 p.m. became this third peak and everybody was working, which then led to, as we know, huge, huge, huge amounts of burnout. And so we've got to rein it in because if we don't, we're just going to be meet, having meetings and working pretty much all the time. That's very good information. Can you talk about disconnecting to reconnect? Um, it is for many of us, myself certainly included, it is hard to disconnect. And when we think about the workplace, um, you know, the leaders have to model it. And, you know, again, it leads to the burnout. So how do leaders do it? You know, some of the many, many companies over the last few years have given 
unlimited time off, unlimited vacation. And it's funny when you really kind of look underneath the hood and figure out why they're doing it. Many companies are actually getting it. It's actually better for them from a tax perspective. So it really doesn't have a lot to do with people taking unlimited vacation. And the studies show that when you have an unlimited vacation, employees take fewer vacation days. So you know, in terms of getting people to disconnect, the, the the companies that really believe in it, they are, they'll, they'll, um, like Google, for example, a, a friend of mine worked there and he hadn't taken any vacation. So he got a, almost like a notification, a little nudge saying, you know, Joe, we see you haven't any taken any vacation and, you know, you need to take some time off. And he kind of ignored it. And then 10 days later, he saw the message again. And so it's they it's the, the companies that are saying we know that you need to disconnect in order to reconnect and be productive. And we are going to make sure that you do um, another approach companies are taking. And this won't work for every company. And it certainly won't work for every industry, you know, like hospitality, where there's always people that are on. But there are some companies that are having company wide shutdowns. Um, the week of July 4th at LinkedIn or a summer week and a winter week. And what that does is it may not be every single person, but if most people are off on the same day or the same week, you're going to be getting fewer emails. So it's much easier to disconnect. Yes. I think it's almost like a school year, summer break, winter break, fall break, whatever. It's like, you know, it's coming so you can plan well ahead. No one's working that week. I think that's brilliant. Because there are some people that are workaholics. They refuse to take time off. And when they are, when it's mandatory, but everyone else is doing it, there's just no way you're, the office building is locked. You cannot come to work. I think that's wonderful. I think that's wonderful. That going back to that unlimited time off, how does that really work? Do they have someone that monitors at some point they've taken too much time off and they just tell them that? You know, it's, I mean, I haven't heard that because most people don't take enough that that it's because it's kind of nebulous. Uh You're never like, should I, should I take it? Should I not take it? Mm -hmm. So, you know, most times, even if it's unlimited, you're taking what you would probably normally take anyway. Or what you needed, Um, you know, or what you needed. Or, or maybe there's just certain cases where it's like, okay, you know, like seven weeks of vacation, Bring yeah. it in because I'm one of those that would would enforce that. I would say I've got to give everyone unlimited time off because I trust you. I I want you right. to. I number one want you to have time off to just relax the brain, uh, to be just want you need some rest. So I want you to have fun time, but I'm going to give you unlimited time off because I don't want it to only be in a state of emergency because you yeah. are sick. So now, oh, I have to use my vacation time because I'm sick and I need an operation or I need to go into the hospital or I have family members that need my help. That's not a vacation. That's not relaxation. And I don't want my staff feeling like they have to take vacation time to go take care of themselves, either their health or their family's health. So I totally support and believe in that unlimited vacation. Yeah. Takes the stress off of, oh, gosh, I don't have any vacation time, but I'm sick and I need to go in and have... Well, right. And you don't want people that are sick coming into the office. True. You know, I think about my kids where you get a note from the, the email from the nurse. Yeah. Uh, I still have one in high school. Make sure, you know, your kid does not come in, you know, when yes. he's sick. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it works for everybody. I love that. How do office layouts affect productivity? So it's interesting in terms of office layouts. 
just in talking about the cyclical nature of work and the first there's everybody's quitting with the great resignation and now all the layoffs and there's been so many different trends over the last couple of years or pretty much since when I wrote bring your human to work in 2018, you know, in the beginning, the big focus was designing the layout around um, having these big open spaces for people to connect. And then they went so open that people hated it because they felt like they were so exposed and they couldn't get any, any quiet work done. Um, and there were so many distractions. And so then the, the pendulum started swinging back um, to, to creating, you know, to have offices and to have open spaces. What's going on now is really interesting that it goes back to your question about how, you know, how many days are you supposed to come back in the office? that the the new the new layouts are very much aligned to the office's the purpose of the office. So if a company says, you know what, when we come back, it's not to all of us sit in our little cubicles and do spreadsheets. We can do that on Tuesday and Thursday at home. But on the days we are in the office, it's to break bread and it's to have a big community room. It's to have a big whiteboard and do all these things. The design now is changing to fit with those purposes. So one cool company, um, Dropbox, for example, they re-engineered their entire, all of their offices and they're calling them studios, Dropbox studios. And so when you go in, it's just a very different feel that it is set up. It's almost set, it's, it's set up or designed for connection. Oh, I love that. It's like, it's like a focus group setting. Yeah, I mean it's it's open and there there you could connect in a variety of a variety of different ways, but you're not going to go in and see rows of offices and rows of cubicles because they don't want you doing that on on the days that you come together. And so there's this feeling in many of the offices now that you know, we're going to come in and there's going to be, you know, there'll be a kitchen or there'll be something that looks more like a living room or something that looks more like a, a you know, something where people can, and, and also um, more flexible walls. You can move things around and roll the tables around um, to innovate and, and have it be more playful. Yeah, that's brilliant. If you have a company that has a poor work culture, how can you turn that around? What are some of the first steps to do that? Well, so first companies are, are doing, you know, you want to survey, your, you want to find out what poor means. I mean, is it, and try to get to the root of it. So sometimes people say, well, my culture must be pretty bad because everybody's quitting and we can't really figure out why. And then we do these exit interviews and nobody's really honest with us. And so the first step is really to get underneath what the issues are. And so there's a lot of different kinds of surveys, you know, poll surveys are just ways to go in and even ask just one or two questions. And then there's bigger, bigger ways to do it. Um, part of it is, you know, is it is it a systemic issue? Is it related to a few bad apples? You know, some some bad managers? Are we not living our values? Um, and, and that you re it's hard to come up with a specific plan until you really start to get underneath you know, what those issues are. And that can be done, you know, in a series of focus groups. It can be done with things that are anonymous. Um, and you have to really go at it from so many different angles. You want to find out, is it more of a senior issue? Is it more of the entry-level people? Is it in the middle? And once you've sort of collected that data and, and connected those dots, then you can begin to say, all right, you know what? We're really having some issues with our managers, which has been true in many companies today because, People have been promoted 
um, with and not given any training on how to be a people leader. And so how are you plus, you know, so sometimes you're the best salesperson and then you're like, oh, we're promoting you to the sales manager. And you're like, well, I don't know. I was great at selling widgets. Why am I going to be a great manager? And so once you know that you can then put this, put the supporting mechanisms in place to at least close the gap on what you believe is ca causing some of the culture problems. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, this is so great. Is there anything exciting coming up that you'd like to share with the listeners? Because I feel like there's so much. <gasps> oh my gosh, there's so much. I mean, it's exciting. There, there's so much going on in the space. Um, I would say I'm feeling, I'm feeling excited. I think for, you know, we have an opportunity right now to rethink pretty much everything that we know about the workplace. Um, you know, overnight, everybody you know, not frontline workers, but desk workers, we all went home and, and we were able to keep working, which I think people never thought would happen. And the technology has helped us work in a new way. And so now we know we can do it. And the question is, how much do we want to do it? And how much do we need to go back and have some of those, you know, in real life experience? So I'm excited. Um, just in terms of how the pendulum keeps swinging and how many opportunities there are, you know, as a, as a mom, I had, you know, three kids, I had them a little bit later and I didn't have the opportunity to work flexibly. Um, and if I did, I was sneaking out of my office so nobody would see me. So I'm excited. I, I have twin girls that are going to be 20. I'm excited for them. Uh, I'm excited for all the young people that can you know, work in a new way and something that a workplace can meet them where they are versus all of us having to change who we are to meet a workplace that was kind of one size fits all. Oh, congratulations on your twin girls. I have a twin brother. I love twins. I have oh. a triplet uh, daughter-in-law. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So that's so exciting. What is coming up for you yourself in the future? Anything exciting? Yeah. So for me, I have this brand new book. I actually, um, I have to hand it in to my publisher on next week on Tuesday. So um, this weekend, we'll be doing quite a lot of writing and editing. And um, it's going to be called The Retention Revolution. And um, the working title, we'll see um, if this ends up being the the, the subtitle. Uh, the title for sure is The Retention Revolution. But the, the subtitle is something like, you know, seven surprising um, and very human ways to connect your employees to your company. And it's and the idea is we want to keep employees connected, but that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, handcuffing them to their chairs and making them stay. And it's all about this idea of the virtuous cycle and that, you know, going back to your questions about bringing people on and having people leave and how can we build an ecosystem, a human ecosystem within our organization and give people amazing opportunities um, up, down and sideways. And then when it doesn't work for, for, for one of us or both of us, you know, we, we say goodbye gracefully and, you know, and, and stay connected in many ways. So I am over the moon excited about this new book. It comes out. I can't wait to send you one. It'll be out at the end of September, the beginning of October. Wow. Well, I, for one, am very, very excited about this new book of yours because I think you're brilliant. I think this podcast has been so energizing and so very educational for everyone. You are uh, going to have a bestseller on your hands. I just know it. 
Oh, well, thank you so much. And I love that human nature drink. I'm going to look it up myself and make one this weekend. Well, we've come to the second thing we do with every podcast. I told you I had thought of two things when I first started this podcast. And this one is the game of the day. Do you like playing games? I do. Oh, yay. I do too. So we've created this game in honor of you and our podcast today. And the name of this game is We're All Human. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So your strategies let us see the human in everyone. So for this game, we're going to guess the simple favorites of some of the most famous people in the world because they're human too. So number one. George Clooney's favorite pizza is the three choices, margarita, pepperoni, or meat lovers. I know he spends a lot of time in Italy. Yes, he does, Um, doesn't he? Okay. I'll go. I'll go with margarita. You know what? I was going to go with margarita, too. And my thinking is he created a tequila and tequila cuts and margaritas. So I'm guessing margarita. Oh, the answer is margarita. Woo! We both got that one. Okay, number two. Ariana Grande's favorite color is the three choices, baby pink, lavender, or white. Do you want to guess first? Um, White. Oh, gosh, you know what? I want to say white as well, and I'll tell you why. I play over and over this video of her with... Kelly Clarkson at Christmas time, because I am addicted to this beautiful Christmas carol they sang just recently. And she was dressed in all white. <laughs> and okay. that's why I'm saying white. So now they're going okay. to pop up the answer. Oh, we are both wrong. It's lavender. Darn. Oh, I would have said yellow. Definitely not baby pink, because I feel like she's more of a bright pink kind yeah. of person. Yeah. All right. Lavender. Now we know. Okay, number three. Denzel Washington's favorite ice cream flavor the three choices, mint, chip, cherry, vanilla, Rocky Road. Mm-hmm. Rocky Road. You know what? I'm going to say mint chip. I just had, oh, we're both wrong. Cherry vanilla. Wow. Wow. Denzel. Okay. Oh, this is one of my favorite people in the whole world. I don't know. If it's... Kate Middleton's Princess of Wales. Favorite dessert is the three choices, sticky toffee pudding, strawberries and cream, Welsh cakes. I'm so sad. I don't know it. Strawberries and cream. Okay. And I'm going to say Welsh cakes. What is it? Oh, no. Sticky toffee pudding. Did we both get it wrong again? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Sticky toffee pudding. I'll never forget that. I love her so much. Okay, the last one. LeBron James, favorite cereal. Okay, the three choices. Wheaties, Raisin Bran, Fruity Pebbles. Which one do you guess? I would say Raisin Bran. Oh, you know what? I want to say Raisin Bran, too. I think they're trying to trick us putting Wheaties in there. Let's see what it is. Fruity Pebbles! He's a grown man. <laughs> oh my gosh! Darn. Well, I guess I guess I'm I'm not so good at this game. I'm not good at this game either, and I thought I would know at least Princess of Wales. Okay, well that was a lot of fun. 
Well, sadly, that brings us to the end of the episode. And before we wrap this up, I need to ask you one final question. This podcast is all about life changing secrets and sharing them with everyone. Do you have one major secret you've learned that you'd like to share with the listeners? You know, I would say that one of the things that I think has made a big impact is, um, you know, I call myself a professional dot connector that, that taking the time um, to help people either connect them with other people or to connect them you know, whether it's connecting with the job or I've set up three marriages, um, you know, to me, it's effort. It takes work, but there's a huge benefit, um, you know, not only to the people that I've connected, but but to myself. So to me, mm. it's sort of my secret to, you know, happiness that I just get so much pleasure out of it. Oh, I love that. Taking the time to not only connect the dots, but to connect people. That's wonderful. So now please tell the listeners where to find you on social media. Right. So they can, my Instagram is just my name, Erica Keswin, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, you can, my email is, you know, Erica at EricaKeswin.com and my website's just my name. I have a newsletter. You'll see it on there. You can subscribe. It's my monthly-ish newsletter that gives sort of insights into the human workplace. And um you know, would love to hear from people. Oh, you know what? Here's a secret I'm going to share right now. I love newsletters. I love it when when brilliant people take time to write down and share information with everyone else. I, I just, I love newsletters. So thank you for doing that. And t- thank you for sharing it with the listeners. Right. Well, yeah. And I, people really like it. I get great, great feedback on it. I don't bombard people with it. So, um <sighs> You know, and if, if people hear me on your podcast and I actually have, I'm happy to offer them if they do email me, I have a um, like a mini ebook of Bring Your Human to Work that I'm happy to send anybody that wants one. Oh, fantastic. You have just been such a huge joy today. So thank you so much for being on my podcast. I really appreciate it. Secret Squad, as always, head on over to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com for more from this episode. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.